Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. I am so glad to be here on, on Shabbat Shantelli, aren't you? I know it is good to be in the house of the Lord. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just, boy, I tell you what, I, I welcome everybody who's watching from, from all over the world. We have, uh, I was in touch with some of our members this week who, for one reason or another, can't, you know, literally can't get out for one reason. And so I, I welcome you, and, and, and we have some of our members from uh, all over the place who watch on a regular basis, states from all over the country. Uh, and I welcome all of you from wherever it is that you're watching or listening on the podcast. It's just unbelievable the reach that's happened. And I, I certainly never expected that at all uh, when all this started. And, but boy, the Lord, the Lord, His ways are higher than our ways. And, you know, that very much relates because oftentimes, isn't it true that oftentimes, Dale, we don't know what's around the corner. <laughs> isn't that the truth, Dale? We don't know what's around the corner. Well, sometimes it would be nice to have that Superman x-ray vision, you know, where you could literally see what's around the corner and symbolically in our lives, right, to understand what's around the corner. We don't have that. I mean, we have the Ruach, and, and, but, but God knows what's around the corner. But a lot of times we don't know what's around the corner. It's just how it is. That's how life is. Most of you know the story about King David, of course, Melech David. It's a very interesting narrative we're going to talk about today uh, in large part and some things that you probably are very familiar with and then some things that are a little more obscure in the scripture, but they all lead to a point. And what, what you probably know about King David is that he was anointed and proclaimed to, uh, by the prophet Samuel, Shmuel, uh, and judge that he would one day be king. So he was anointed that he would one day be king, but he was anointed when he was only your age. He was anointed when he was only a young, kind of a teenager, uh, that, that one day he would be king. It was unexpected. He was a young teenager. Samuel said, he's the one. The Lord through Samuel said, he's the one. He's going to be king. So he was a young teenager. Yet it took so long for him to become king. It took so long. Oh my gosh, it took a long time. Why? Why? Primarily... Because of King Saul and King Saul, man, you know, you know the story, King Saul, and, and many of you know the story, King Saul, you know, despised and, and, and rejected David and, and, was, and was jealous of him and was fearful of him taking his throne. So he, after David was in his service for a while, he, he, he began to pursue him to kill him. 
King Saul pursued David to kill him. Why? He perceived him as a threat, although David had only been good to him. Okay, and now it took a long time. This is actually more of a preamble to what I'm going to be talking about today, but it's important to understand contextually. It took a long time. How long? Well, remember, he was anointed as just a a teenager, that one day he would be king, but he did not become king until he was 30 years old. Okay, so that's a long time to wait from the moment when Samuel lays his hands on you and the oil is poured on top of your head until you're actually named king. He was 30 years old, and primarily it's because he had been pursued by King Saul. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Think about that amount of time when essentially God, through Samuel, tells you something's going to happen, and, but yet it doesn't happen. It was decades, decades after the prophet Samuel said that he would be king. Man, that's a long time. That is a long time. Finally, he became king. You, know, you think about that for a minute. That's all. That, that's, a, that's a long time to wait and, and patience that he had to have. And, and you know how David, he treated Saul well, even though Saul treated him poorly. And, uh, and it's just so interesting to put yourself in David's spot and to think about the amount of time it took. So, so there's a whole bunch of buildup before you get to David's kingship. Before David is even king, there's a long time that's building up to it, and a lot of time of tsuris. Okay, if you don't know, he had a lot of tsuris. If you don't know what tsuris is, ask your Jewish friend next to you, okay? But trust me, you don't really want to know what tsuris is, but it comes. Okay, so finally, 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 after a long time, he became king, and he ruled for 40 long years years, 40 long years. And man, after such a wait, right? He waited so after such a wait, what a relief. What a relief for for David. I mean, after having waited and and been unjustly accused, uh, unfairly treated, after after having been pursued to be killed for, for, for no good reason, uh, and after having his kingship seemingly delayed relative to certainly what he thought, wow, it must have felt good to finally, you know, when that time finally arrived, when they put the crown on the guy's head, and he's like, finally, after all this time, God is true, his, his, his promises are yes and amen, and, and sure enough, he does what he says he's going to do, and it must have felt so good. And, and wow, 40-year reign, that's a long time for a king. After such a, a long wait, what a relief it was. And sure, they would, there would be trying times in his kingship, but he was finally there. So wonderful. 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15. Here's the word that happens in life. But. <laughs> but. And sure, I could, and sure I could uh, take a pause in a Selah for a moment and say, well, you know, he messed up with Bathsheba. Yeah. Okay, but that was, that was all his doing. Okay, that was a self-inflicted wound. But. Something else here. Right near the end of his life, 
right near the end of King David's reign and life. When King David should have been firmly focused on his legacy, really, and just kind of like enjoying King retirement. <laughs> right, right. Uh, he, was, he was already a card-carrying member of the AARK, the Association of Retired Kings. And <laughs> he was an old... He's a bit of an older fellow, and, and, and he should have just been kind of honestly on cruise control. He, he was, he was going to be with the Lord soon, and it was the end. And, you know, you want to just make things go well at the end, and he's been so long. He'd been a king for so long by that time, and things should have been just so easy. But then, boom, a rebellion came upon him. A rebellion came upon the great and mighty King David. Who would have thunk it? And here's the thing, the rebellion didn't just come from anyone. It came from his own son. It came from his own son. 2 Samuel 15 verse 10 says, But Absalom sent spies to all the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the shofar, then you are to say, Absalom has become king in Hebron. Yikes. What? David was still sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. What is this? Absalom, his son, who had done things that David didn't like, although some things were good that Absalom did, but they, they had a contentious relationship, is a, is a nice way to say it. But he was in Jerusalem at the time and, and eventually went to his dad and said, Dad, King David, send me to Hebron. King David said, Okay, go in peace. He literally said, Go in peace. King David did not expect or see any of this. It's crystal clear in Scripture. And then he goes down to Hebron, and he, and he makes a big announcement amongst all the tribes, sends spies to all the tribes of Israel, and says, get ready, it's going down. And guess who's king? Me, Absalom. David, he's out of there. It's his father. When was this? It's important to understand the context. It really helps explain a little bit of everything going on and the reaction, depending upon what scholar you read. It was either 37 or 40 years into King David's reign, likely 37. 37 years into his reign, y'all. This is, this is incredibly important to understand. E Either way you look at it, whatever the exact timing of it is, it was toward the very end of his reign and toward the very end of David's life. Man. And this, this came out of left field to David. It's, it's crystal clear. So what happened? So what happened? I mean, it's the great and mighty King David. So, so what happened? He said, well, there's a rebellion going on in Hebron with my son Absalom. So I'm just going to, boys, go and take care of that, that, that Absalom and take, take him out. And, and he just defeated his son and remained king in Jerusalem. No, 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 actually, not exactly. Let's read a couple verses later. Verse 14 2 Samuel 15, 14. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else none of us will escape from Absalom. Leave in haste, 
or else he will overtake us quickly and bring disaster down on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Whoa, wow, this, this is the great and mighty King David that slayed Goliath. And this is not him as a kid. This is with all the experience and wisdom of the greatest king in, in Israel's history, right? What a moment this was. After all of these decades as king, 37 years, here is the great King David fleeing Jerusalem as his rebellious son is about to take over. The chaos and the uncertainty must have been palpable in Jerusalem of that day. Can you imagine? You know, people in, in, in the United States, the president rules four years or eight years, rules is not the right word, serves four or eight years, and eight years is as is, is long a term as, as they come. David had been leading Israel for 37 years. People 50 years old really never knew another king. 37 years he had, he had reigned in Jerusalem, Hebron, and then Jerusalem, okay? 37. And, and you can imagine the chaos when suddenly David says, boys, we got to get out of Dodge. Otherwise, Absalom's going to come kill all of us. This usurper, this, re re this rebellious one. It's so interesting, and, and, and you can see as you read the narrative of the story, when David is leaving Jerusalem, a lot of it, this is, hard, this is not talked about very much, this, this part of David's story, right? And it's so interesting as you read the narrative of when he's leaving Jerusalem. I mean, he's like leaving, and, 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 and it says at one part, we got to leave now, or, or, he's, or he's about to come in. He's about to come into Jerusalem like he's just about here. With, with his guys. And so we got to like literally go now. We got to go now. And so, and so it shows and it reveals how, how he left uh, Jerusalem uh, uh, down the Kidron Valley, if you've been with me to Israel before, and toward uh, and up and over and eventually on the Mount of Olives as he was leaving towards the Jordan River in that area. That's the, that's the area he was leaving. As he was leaving, Things were chaotic in Jerusalem. As you can imagine, a whole giant thing was going on here. And let's, let's read now what happened with some of the priests in verse 24. 2 Samuel 15, 24. Then behold, Zadok, Zadok also came and all the Levites with him. Okay, so this, these are some of the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. That's so interesting. So it's like, man, David's getting out, of, getting out of Dodge. And so the priests are like, what do we do? And so they're like, he's, he, David's the king. And so there's some priests who are loyal to David. And so they're like, get the Ark of the Covenant, man. We got we to we bring it with David. Remember, the temple had not quite been built yet. It was still in the tabernacle. And so what did they do? They, they put it on the thing. And they, and they start kind of running out with the Ark of the Covenant with King David. It's a it's surreal scene. It's, it's, it's like... It's like a movie or something. You know, they're trying to run up with the Ark of the Covenant with David trying to escape Jerusalem because here comes Absalom. It's going on. Verse uh, 24 still. They set down the Ark of God. Then Abiathar came up until all the people had passed by out of the city. But the king said to Zadok. So the king tells the priest here. He says, 
King David, that is, he says, return the ark of God to the city. In plain words, bring the ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem. He's just right outside Jerusalem right now, but he's saying, don't don't let it go. Put it back in Jerusalem. If I find favor in Adonai's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good in his eyes. Man, that is straight out of a movie. Goodness. Richard, have you ever thought about that? You know, have you ever thought about the emotions running through King David as he said that? That's intense. That's intense. David, David saw them bringing the Ark of the Covenant, and then he eventually, he, he's, he's blindsided by this. He's got to be stunned. And, and, and there's the ark coming, run, running after him. And, and, and people are probably screaming and running around. And, 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 and people are like, what do we do? And, and who, do you, who do your loyalties lie with? And, and you don't know. I mean, your, your assistants, the people who work there in Jerusalem, what do they do? Do they go with David? Do they stay? After 37 years, they're friends with David for sure. Well, do they stay? But if they stay, then maybe they're going to get their head cut off by the new guy coming in because they're loyal to David. But if they leave, and this is the new administration, David's an old guy, then, then is that so, so, suddenly they got to like make a decision like this. The people are freaking out. And here's David, and, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, it, it's, it's and, and he looks at the Ark of the Covenant, and David, who's, who's clearly stunned here, he doesn't know what comes next. David doesn't know what's going to come next. He clearly has no idea, and he did not see this coming at all. This is a man of God. He didn't see it coming. We don't always see what's coming. And he saw the Ark of the Covenant, and he said, you know, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Take it back. Take it back to Jerusalem. Take it back. And, and you know what? If, if God so wills, I'll be back here and I'll see it again where it belongs. And if not, if God doesn't will it, he nanny. Here I am. God's going to do with me whatever he's going to do with me. We got to get out. <laughs> that's, that's a wild scene. Was David, I mean, and, and, and how do I know that David was surprised, disturbed, um, kind of messed up some? Well, let's read verse 30, 2 Samuel 15, verse 30. It tells us his state of mind. Verse 30, it says, then David continued to go up, this is after the Kidron Valley, he went up and ascend, and he went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives weeping as he ascended. He had his head covered and was walking barefoot. So all the people with him each covered his head as they went up, weeping as they ascended, as they were leaving Jerusalem. My goodness. After all that time, King David, yes, he has faith in God, but, but he doesn't know what is in store. 
He was blind to the rebellion, and he's blind to what will happen next. This came upon him suddenly and harshly. And think about that. He, he, he left Jerusalem, went down the Kidron Valley, walked up, and as he was climbing the Mount of Olives, he was just bawling. He was weeping and weeping, and he covered his head, and he was weeping, and he was barefoot. This is the king of Israel, older guy. Being carried on a chair. No, no, no. He was barefoot walking up the Mount of Olives, just weeping and weeping, and everybody was with him was weeping and weeping. This is not, you know, what was going through his head. This is not the way it's supposed to happen. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to end. After 37 years of being king, I I was chased by Saul 40 years ago. 50 years ago. This isn't isn't supposed to happen this way. My gosh. Eventually, King David had to flee all the way past and over the Jordan River. Past Jericho, across the Jordan River. And his survival was anything but assured. In fact, he came really close to to being killed by Absalom right then, but he had a spy in Jerusalem that convinced Absalom not to immediately pursue him. Okay, now we know the rest of the story. We know... (laughs) As Paul Harvey used to say, generational cut there. Some of you have no idea. <laughs> we know the rest of the story. The rest of the story, Absalom and David's men eventually met in battle. And eventually, Yoav, Joab, Yoav kills Absalom. And David is restored as king in Jerusalem. And he comes back into Jerusalem. Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But David did not know that at the time. <laughs> He did not know that was how it was going to end. He did not know the end of the story at that point. He didn't know if he'd ever see Jerusalem again. So that's why he was weeping so bitterly. Can you imagine his sorrow, his discouragement, his uncertainty from out of nowhere? It was almost like he was walking and suddenly he walks right into this thick fog. So he's walking and things are just clear and then suddenly he walks and he's in a thick, thick fog, not knowing what's next, not knowing what's in front of him, the unknown. I'm excited about our sisterhood getting together again this Shabbat. I think it's going to be great. I'm just excited about the sisterhood getting together and really what it represents also to me. It's yet another important step on coming out of the season of the pandemic, if you will, recognizing, hey, listen, you know, we still have to, (laughs) some people are still dealing with it. I, I get that. It's a little bit different form, though. And let's face it, the pandemic made things so difficult. I mean, we're talking about two and a half years. 
I remember right before, right before the first Shabbat when everything like in the world closed. You all remember. I mean, this is nothing like, what happened? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, you remember. We tried not to remember. We tried just to forget. It's like blah, 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 blah. I I don't want to remember. I don't want to think about it. Oh, yeah, we all remember that time when it's like the world stopped. I remember it was March of 2020. And, and, and I got to tell you, it was before Shabbat, and we, we had no idea what we were going to do here at Bethel. No idea. Absolutely no idea. And, uh, and, and we've, we had never streamed before. We didn't have, we didn't have any cameras we didn't have any specialized sound equipment. We didn't have any fancy lighting. We had nothing. We had a, a, a kind of a, 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 an air rabbi, that's it, you know, and some good musicians. <laughs> that's about it, you know. Was, what do you do? I, said, I, I have no idea. And so suddenly, like, everybody, you, you all remember, the world has officially closed. Closed the door. What? <laughs> Oh, okay, really? We've not, some of these mega places, you know, streaming and have the fancy 100, 200 quarter million dollar, million dollar equipment. We had none of that stuff. You know, we, we had Dean as an usher in the back, letting people in, you know, that's, God bless him, I appreciate Dean back there. You know what I mean? And so we were like, what are we going to do? And man, we scrambled. We scrambled. That week was crazy. That week was crazy because I knew that we had to keep going to serve. the. If, if there was a time where people needed Shabbat and, and a spiritual nourishment more than any time, it was that week. What were we, what were we going to do? Well, we, we, we put something together and we streamed it, man. And it was... A historic service. It was an historic service. It really was. For us here at Bethel, having never done it before, it was very special in that way. It was a special service. Some of you were there. I remember I watched it again this week in reflection, in preparation for this message. And Dr. Lou was there. Dr. Lou was playing keyboard. Damien was leading music. He was leading music that day. You know, remarkably, Dara and Mark were not in that first service. I don't even, even know how that happened. I know they were behind the scenes making it happen. But in any case, it, w- it, was, a, it was a, such a, an, a historic and a surreal service. But friends, wow, it was bad. <laughs> I'm talking about the quality of the recording and the stream. Oh, y'all, no, 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 it was bad. Whoo, man, we had never streamed before. We had never put out any kind of video. In fact, I'd always resisted it. People had asked me for years, you should stream on the internet. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no. Not interested. Thank you anyway. And I can't tell you how many times I said not interested. Keziah, uh, who's moved up to Virginia now, is in part of a wonderful Messianic congregation up there. She, she had told me for years she said, I've been involved in live streaming. I know that stuff. I can help. Let's do it. I'm like, oh, uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm, Keziah. I'll get back to you when the time is right. The time ain't right. But eventually, the call was made at a higher pay grade than mine. 
And I'm telling you, it was, it was not good. We had no lyrics. We had horrible lighting. It was, and, and here's the thing that still bothers me just a little bit. Because it was the very service we ever did, and everybody was in a state of total, complete panic, and there was nobody here, every member was remote, to this day, that remains the most watched Shabbat service that we've streamed. It's like thousands of people watch this. It's on YouTube. Thousands, plural, have watched the stream. And it's like, oh. And so in, in, our, in our feed, you know, it says most watched. And it's like this. And it's the worst one. And I'm like, oh, geez, man. It's the, people, like, you know, some visitors probably, you know, people just checking us out and say, well, let's look at the most watched one. And they look, ooh, okay. Uh, well, they don't know what they're doing. Not to say we do, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> That's all right. We, hey, listen, we're human. We're trying our best. That's all we can do. And we were, what were we doing, friends? We were entering the unknown. There were so many questions. And, and, and in that sermon, on that terrible recording, but nonetheless, in that sermon, I talked about some of these questions. How long would the pandemic last? How deadly was the virus? We had no idea. No idea how long the, the pandemic would last. I even talked about it. I said, how long is it going to last? Some people say a month and a half. <laughs> I said, some people say three months. I said, some people say 18 months. And I heard some, you know, some of you know, was like, oh, like, no way, 18 months. Uh. We didn't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knew then. There was such conflicting information on everything. How deadly was the virus? What shall we all do? Will our economy survive? Will we ever find toilet paper again? <laughs> <laughs> Some of you remember, remember that. We can laugh about it now, but I think some of you are about to take up arms to get some TP. <laughs> it was like some of you were more concerned about the TP than the virus. I, I remember that. You remember that too. You go to Kroger's shelves and it's like, no toilet paper for like weeks. The, the people are, how sad is our, is our country and our, our culture, if you will, is that, you know, the, the, the truck beep, 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 pulls back up to Kroger and people are like hoarding toilet paper. It's, what a sad state of, how fragile we are. It's not even our country, how fragile we are, right? Oh my gosh. But friends, it was sincerely intense, man. You could actually feel it. You could feel it. You could feel people were apprehensive, fearful, panicked, uh, confused. They didn't know the, uh, the uncertainty. It reminds, it reminds me of when a, a ship goes into a fog. You know, really thick fog is very disconcerting. Really, really thick fog. You know how it is when you're driving, right? You're driving along. Oh, 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 oh. You're driving. Oh, you know, just, just 
speeding a little bit, whatever. And then suddenly, if you hit a fog, especially, you know, David, I mean like a really, really thick fog that you can just like almost like cut with a knife. Very thick fog. And you get in that thick fog with your car. You know, and, and, and if you turn, as you know, with a thick fog like that, you turn the brights on, it's actually worse. You're trying to see through the fog, you turn the brights on, it's actually blinds you even more a little bit. And, and, and suddenly, what do you do if you have any sense? You immediately slow down, exactly. You immediately slow down. You're like, whoa, because you don't know what's right in front of you. If it's really thick, it might be another car stopped right there. You'll slam them if you're going fast. It's, it's freaky. I don't care how great. You may be Chase Elliott, NASCAR driver. You may be fantastic driver. It doesn't make the least bit of difference. If there's thick fog, you better slow down. I don't care how good a driver you are. You're going to be in trouble if you don't slow down. And it's very disconcerting. And sometimes if it's really, really thick, you, you, you slow down almost to, you know, you're like you're creeping a little bit if you can't see anything. Psalm 46, please. Do you remember when things were so uncertain? There was tangible fear amongst people. In that very first service back in, in March of 2020, I shared this passage from the Psalms. Psalms, Psalms 46, verse 2, says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth change, though the mountains topple into the heart of the seas, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at their swelling, Selah. I spoke of the fact that we need not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge. God is our refuge. Friends, guess what? There are almost always, here's the, the, the thing where that visual can, can tie into where you're at right now. There are almost always, there are almost always areas of our lives that are obscured to us. We can't see around that corner, right? There are often times in our lives when we can't see the full picture. Where we don't understand everything. Perhaps it's the loss of a loved one. Uncertainty in a career. A question of health. Doubts, depression, or discouragement, loneliness, financial uncertainty, heaven. Think about it. It's so interesting. Without question, everyone here has either has an area of fog in their lives or will at some point be in a fog. Everybody. Easily. Unexpected things happen in life. David, King David, a friend of God. God called him his friend. You're, not, you're probably not better than King David. David, a friend of God, in the twilight of his reign, saw a rebellion from his own son. And it forced him to go into exile. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. 
In March of 2020, our congregation and our whole country entered into a fog, not knowing what would happen. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7. There's some real important key learnings from this season. Here's one of them. Are you prepared for the fog? The fog's going to come. Are you prepared for it? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Yeshua, Messiah himself, teaches us on how to prepare for the fog that comes in with the storm. He says this in verse 24, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall, for its foundation had been built on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Brothers and sisters, you don't know when the storm is coming. We don't know when the storm is coming. It hit us hard more than two years ago. It hit everybody hard. You have to build your foundation on the rock that is Yeshua, amen? That's where you gotta build your foundation. You have to prepare. Sure, we don't know what the fog will hold, but we know that the fog is coming. How solid is your house? It all depends on the foundation, And I can't emphasize enough how important that is within you. Why? I was looking back on that very first service from March of 2020, and during my message, you can, this is sadly on the internet, (laughs) during my message, I asked the question, quote, how Will you come out the other side of the coronavirus? This this was the first week. How will you come out the other side of the coronavirus? That question in our first service in the COVID era. And so now, here we are. Here we are. Here we are, we're coming, we are now coming out of the fog. Sisterhood's meeting, we're coming out of the fog, and guess what, guess what, guess what? Some didn't make it out of the fog. Some are wandering aimlessly. Some are lost. Some became apathetic and gave up. Some stopped coming and just became comfortable. Some even say, meh, I don't care what the scriptures say, I can worship just as well alone. Some have even maybe made their way back, but they're not serving. 
Some have lost their passion. At the very beginning of this, I asked, how will you come out the other side? Well, now we're on the other side of this. So for some of you, this means that it's time to get going again. When you are driving down the road and you hit that thick fog, you understandably slow down. Of course, it makes sense. But when the fog lifts, you got to get going again. You got to get going again. You accelerate and move forward again. And this is not just about the pandemic. Some of you have been through things in your personal lives, totally aside from the pandemic, that have been fogs in your own life that have hurt you or inhibited you or challenged you at one time or another. Losses, challenges, obstacles, and you've allowed them to continue to stunt your growth. They've weighed you down like an anvil. Some of you may need to wake up. Some of you online, same thing. Some of you watching online may need to wake up. Matthew 5. And beyond this, friends, (laughs) you know well and good that there are many others in this world that are still deep in the fog. There are others that have not yet found their way out of the fog. What can you do? Is there anything that you do that you can do to help others who are still in that fog? Yes, there is. Hear the words of Moshiach Yeshua on the Mount of Beatitudes outside the Sea of Galilee. In Matthew 5, verse 14, Yeshua tells us, he tells you, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, so it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, yet let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, when the fog is heavy in the world, and my gosh, the fog is still there in certain areas. It's not COVID as much right now. It's other stuff, though. When the fog is heavy in the world, even more so, you need to be a lighthouse. You need to set the example. You need to let your light shine. You need to encourage others. You need to show the way. You need to help and to strengthen those that are still blinded. What's the the point of a lighthouse? You know, it shines that light. And has that kind of that foghorn. Okay, it's called a foghorn. It was a horrible foghorn. I am not going to become a professional foghorn caller. <laughs> but you, you know what I'm saying? It blasts that, and the light shines and that light spins. And, and even through the darkness, a ship coming can see, hold on. Oh, there's a light from over there. That's going to keep me safe. I need to know where I can and I can't go. I can't go right. I don't want to get on the rocks. I see. This is what we need to be to others. This is why I think this message has such applicability no matter where we're at. If you're in a fog right now, 
Or if you're not in a fog, although eventually everybody will be back in a fog at certain parts of our life, but you can help others who are still in the fog. Such interesting application. Let's get ready to conclude with 1 Kings chapter 2. <laughs> so King David got going again. King David got back to Jerusalem, reestablished his monarchy, and the rest of his reign was strong, and he didn't face rebellion again in his reign. And not only that, but he left the kingship strongly. He left the kingship. So when he came out of that fog, he pressed on that accelerator and moved again. And as King David was about to die, he took his son Solomon, who was his chosen successor to be king after him. He took his son Solomon and he told him, verse 2, Chazak, Chazak, be strong. Be strong, son. Be strong. Chazak. Verse 3, he told him, keep the charge of Adonai your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commands, his ordinances, and his decrees according to what is written in the Torah of Moses so that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Wow. What does that sound like? Does that sound like somebody who overcame? It sure does. Everybody knows he overcame Saul, but man, right there at the end, after all of his success, he had to overcome maybe something that was as hard or harder for him, and that was Absalom's insurrection and being exiled after 37 years of being on the throne. Yet he overcame. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. You too can overcome. You too can overcome. Chazak, be strong. Yes, King David recovered well. He was strong till the end. He did not let the adversary have victory over him. Beloved, before the fog hits, build your foundation. Purpose in your heart that nothing will deter you from the call of God on your life, purpose, nothing will deter me. Kids, young people, nothing will deter me. Nothing will stop me from the call of God in my life. And that includes whatever fog comes, difficulties, challenges, offenses, politics, diseases, pride, laziness, fear, anger, or anything else. At the same time, man, when that fog passes, chazak, be strong, be strong and move forward. Pick up that momentum again. Don't be stuck in the quicksand. Charge forward. Take new ground. Press the initiative 
and be a lighthouse. Be a lighthouse to others who are still battling the fog. If you do these things, you will find both success and great satisfaction in the Lord. The title of my message is Coming Out of the Fog. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if there's anybody here who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart. If you've never committed your life to God, but you'd like to today, raise your hand and we'll have a simple prayer. If you've never given your life to God, never committed your life to God, but you want to, raise your hand and we'll pray together. Perhaps you're watching from the internet or on the podcast. And if that's you and you've never committed your life to God, but you'd like to say this simple prayer, say, dear God, I accept Yeshua as my Messiah, as my atonement. Please forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. I believe the Messiah is sitting at your right hand, oh God. Thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. If you said that prayer, we want to celebrate with you. Please send us an email. If you're here, see me after the service. What a blessing it is to serve the Lord. There are some of you who are here who are watching who have remained in a fog in some area of your life. I don't know what that area is. It might be decision. It might be a habit that you just can't get away from. It might be uh, some physical ailment. <laughs> it might be discouragement. It might be loneliness. Some fogs we can get out of. Some fogs we just have to go through. Some fogs we just pray and the, the wind of the Holy Spirit blows the fog away. Some fog we just got to plunge through. But either way, the Lord will carry us and protect us. But I want to pray for you if you've been going through any kind of fog in whatever area of your life it is. It might be a relationship. It might be doubts. It might be depression. It might be something unfairly treated. Many other different fogs. It could be, might be financially. Lord, in the name of Yeshua, I pray for each and every person who's in a fog right now. I pray, God, that like Yeshua said, Lord, that their foundation is solid and that they re-firm up their foundation by following your commands, trusting in you. Lord, if we trust in you, we can make it through whatever the fog is. God, if we're holding your hand, you'll guide us through the fog. Or you'll blow it away either way. We trust in you. But let us not fall away and become lost in the fog and, and totally lose any momentum. Similarly, for some who've come out of the fog, They've, they have lost their momentum. 
and they've stalled maybe in their spiritual walks or their fervor or their service to you, O oh God. I pray a Ruach HaKodesh, Eish, a fire, to be lit under and within them such that the passion will return. I thank you for this, Lord. And Lord, let us all be a lighthouse for others, Lord, who are still in that fog. We bless you, God. I thank you for this service. I thank you for our wonderful congregation. I thank you, Lord, <laughs> that you've helped us live stream. <laughs> we bless you, Lord. And I ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethhalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Nine, 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 nine.